Hello and welcome to Wing It Podcast episode 40, travelling with Dr. Angel Iskovic. Dr. I, who is sometimes known as, as an author, speaker and experienced chief executive. He has just released a book called The Art of Routine and is here to talk about that book, how routine can transform your life, how routine and travel intertwine and also some personal travel. Welcome Angel, how are you doing? Thank you, thank you. Great, great pleasure, James. Thank you. Yeah, very excited today because I've uh, got your book. I read it in two days, so I've got a lot of questions and some discussion points that I'd like to get off my chest, really. So I can't wait to get started. So where, where are you based currently and how's that I'm, going I'm in, Yeah, yeah, I'm in Santa Barbara, California and um, uh, kind of landed here uh, where I started my my essentially first phase of being an emergency physician. That's my background in emergency mm-hmm. medicine and I've been in the Santa Barbara area for, for uh, now since so 1980, really. And, oh, okay. uh, nice. and the yeah. story, yeah, but I'm a, I'm an immigrant to this country, actually a legal immigrant. Uh, <laughs> about, oh, really? <laughs> you know, we had a, that from Argentina, I was born in Argentina. And when things were not going well for my parents and I was seven and my brother was 11 years of age and we, uh, we immigrated here with a sponsor and had kind of the real kind of like immigrants of all types today upbringing mm-hmm. and uh, in Los Angeles area and somehow landed back in in Santa Barbara so that's where I'm that's where I'm uh, call home right now it's a nice area isn't it? it's got like a beach and it's in the classic California lifestyle right it is it is it's a it's an incredible actually uh part of the world it was rated and it has this every few years rated the number one weather in the world by U.S. and world Okay. Report, uh, trades off with San Diego and South uh, yeah. Cape um, in, in South Africa, you know, mm-hmm. so um, Cape Town. And um, and so it's a it's a beautiful setting. Um, I'm really uh, very fortunate to to have landed here. And I could remember my, my brother when I first had come here and there, I was being tempted by uh, both moving about and traveling and um and there was a job in Kansas City where he had been for a period of time mm-hmm. to get a tenured position in emergency medicine and the field of emergency medicine was just starting. And uh, I was, uh, and I told him, I think I might take this job. And he said, are you st- only like a brother could, right? Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? you realize you're one of the top 10 places in the world? You don't want to go to Kansas. Kansas you know? yeah. yeah, and I mean, it was just a funny, funny point about that although I think there's very good things about about Kansas and Missouri and the sort but anyway so uh he kind of convinced me to stay and uh, make a bit of a life here so so you're quite an early sort of traveler really so that you must from quite young younger days that you were like changing countries so yes yeah yeah and traveling it's interesting as my brother reminds me you know I was seven years of age right Mm. so and I didn't speak English, right? I was oh, okay. Spanish is the language of Argentina, right? Yeah, so you yeah. speak Spanish and somehow mysteriously, you're fairly young then. But I do remember my brother suddenly one evening we're on a, a, a four prop TWA plane flying to to Miami, you know, Wow. and remembering getting in some turbulence, you know, and my brother uh, not feeling very well. And having yeah. the the bag, the emesis bag with him, you know, and my kind of laughing at that moment, you know, uh, as a young boys would, uh, <laughs> there's, there were two of us. And uh, so I remember that very interesting 
kind of night travel, the the kind of adventure and excitement, really, that mm. uh, of where are you going? Where are you showing up? A, a real a real kind of a immigrant kind of piece, and ending up in Los Angeles, you know, uh, at seven years of age after entering through Miami. So that was, uh, I'd say, my first real travel. And was it tough to adapt from, I guess, what you're known for the first seven years, right? Or five, from, from what you remember. But to right. uh, land somewhere and try and learn a new language and, I guess, a culture as well. And was that quite right. tough? Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, from a language point of view, when you're seven years of age, you're able to learn um, you know, so it's so like for a lot of the people that listen to your podcast and travel, one knows there are a million ways to now learn languages. But if you're very yeah. young, it's a very easy way to learn a language. Yeah, and absolutely. so you, you find that in, for example, European countries that speak multiple languages, right? They speak English. And so when you're young, it's 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 easy and it's and it's interesting because I uh, I picked up the language fairly quickly, but mm-hmm. I was able to still keep my you know, Argentine accent, if I try to speak Spanish, yeah. uh, I have kind of an Argentine accent, which is a Argentine speak Castilian, uh, okay. or Castellano, as they yeah. say, it's kind of an Italian sounding musical Spanish. It's, okay. it's different nice. than, than Cuban. It's, los argentinos hablan así, hablan como cantan los argentinos, <laughs> meaning it's, you're, you're, you're speaking almost like you're singing, you know, very, okay. very Italian kind of Spanish. Yeah. Um, and but it's interesting how the, how language develops when you're young and learning a new language, because, for example, to say the word uh, think or a thought mm-hmm. for English, the th, the th is a very difficult uh, part to learn. And my brother, who was 11, still can't say think or thought. Okay. He still says think. He can't think. say the th okay. because of where, yeah. where he was in his age in development of language. So it's very... Uh, there's a lot to that, you know, and big so, difference, yeah. yeah, big difference, but that was, you know, the, the first travel and uh, coming to the United States. And uh, we um, friends that my mother knew from the war in Europe uh, where they had it, where they had, in fact, immigrated to Argentina uh, before coming here. I had, had helped uh, uh, be a sponsor and here we land and we're in one room, the four of us in a, a room of a multi-bedroom home of a, of a, of a friend and uh, there you go it's all it's all pretty exciting and pretty new right and, and, yeah, and yeah, uh, absolutely. the same kind of excitement that people feel when they land um, you know that you you know sometimes even though you're tired if you haven't you, your excitement of landing in Milan Italy or something you know yeah your body becomes kind of energized you have a mm. little bit of flight fright response you know yeah uh, there are new sounds, new smells, and those those sort of things. So there's some a little bit of physiology that happens with that kind of change in environment that happens quickly. Yeah, that that buzz that happens that happens every time I go traveling. It's a bit addictive, really. It's a bit like a drug. Anywhere, new place, any new place could be any country. Even going home, I'm like, oh yeah, that that initial buzz of landing is is quite addictive. That's probably why I keep traveling, right? To see that new culture, new people, well, there's new definitely, language. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely. Um, you know, as you, as is, uh, there definitely is that. And, and of course, and I'll talk a little bit about routine if you like, but I mean, there is a, um, a way you condition yourself to those things that feel good. And in spite of, uh, you know, how one travels and I, I have many friends and many people because I'm, you know, I promote that. I believe their routines are, are, are maybe more important than the, the, what we do is yeah. how we do it. You know? do, and, yeah. 
though. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's very interesting. It's, it's very interesting how you, when you speak about that addictive quality, and I have friends that are now a little bit in a little bit older and they, they're, their means are such that they could travel when they want more mm -hmm. or less. And they absolutely are traveling all traveling all the time. All the time. Yeah. And they get into some really good routines. They know how to take the flights that they take, the places that they like to go, mm -hmm. um, even new places and the sort to give them um, a sense of familiarity. But, but really that's the essence of uh, what a little bit of the art of routines about. It's a little bit about, you know, human nature. And um, w to tell you that that story, and, and then I can speak a little how it relates more to travel. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, James? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in emergency medicine, about 15 years ago, we were trying to figure out, like we take care of pediatric patients and pediatric emergency departments, very specialized departments. Mm -hmm. We found out that uh, children are not just uh, small adults. They have different requirements for treating them medically when they have injuries or emergencies. Yeah. And similarly, we found that's the case for people that are older. And we were developing, and, and some places have, geriatric emergency departments for people that were over 60, 65 years of age. Um, because the physiology of people that are older, just like kids that are younger, are a little different. You know, like you don't get fevers like you get fevers, even though you might be infected, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's just an example of the normal signs of being sick don't show up, you know? So, but anyway, um, I, I got fascinated with centenarians and why people, these people that live to a, over a hundred years old, you know? Yeah, it's and it's crazy I, when you still hear it though, isn't it? That number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you, you think about it and, you know, we could talk a little bit about, you know, now today with, uh, and we can talk a little bit later with, you know, they, some people say that if you're, hundred years that it, if you're born today, your chances are about 50% to live to be a hundred years. Yeah. That's that's the the advances, yeah, yeah in medicine, the advances in genomics, uh, mm. uh, uh, the advances in big data, artificial intelligence, all mm -hmm. of these are leading. Uh, and we could talk a little bit more about that later if you like, but when I, when I, when the basics of this was that when I, um, began to, uh, both study and interview people that were 100, 105 years of age, I, I started to notice some interesting commonality. Um, and one was that um, they all had a very stable environment. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean both physical and the people around them. They had, it was a very stable environment. It didn't vary a lot. And two, that they had tremendous amounts of routine. And by that, I mean that they did things with great regularity. Yeah, and, purpose, and maybe yeah, and, and so, but what they did with this regularity, when they awoke, when they ate, what they, you know, it, it wasn't what they did, but it was just that they did it with tremendous regularity and rhythm. Um, and so one, one, one centenarian would tell me that I have scotch every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 5 p.m., you know, I then have my dinner, but I only eat, um, beef on Wednesdays and fish on Fridays. And then I take a walk. I used to walk almost a mile. I now down to a quarter mile, but whatever they did with, they did with great anticipation, great rhythm and regularity. In other words, they had a routine. Yeah. It started yeah. to make me think that 
And some of them, you'd see that what they did wasn't particularly healthy. And you'd say, yeah, yeah, you know, based, yeah. <laughs> on, based on what, what what's told to us today and what we see about healthy foods and healthy eating and, and how we should live our lives and exercise, you, you know, you'd meet them and say, I never exercised a day in my life, you know. And, the and great example is um, Elizabeth, oh, yeah. right? Elizabeth Sullivan, who drank three cans of Dr. Pepper a day until she's 106. Right. I gave that, I gave that example in the book. Yeah, you know, in the book yeah. I, I said, what's the key to life? Well, it would be drinking three Dr. Peppers a day, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and you'd say, well, okay. But maybe it was the rhythm, the regularity of it, the adaptation to the same kind of food, the same kind of rhythm at the same time. Mm. And it got me to thinking that, you know, that's quite a bit about how, um, how we are by nature and and you start thinking about people that have been successful in um in uh, high performers and you start seeing that they have a lot of rhythm and regularity and that they have they try to control their environment whether it's a tennis player like uh uh roger federer and he has his entourage and he's traveling and yeah. what they're trying to do is they're controlling a lot of their environment the change in time zones mm -hmm. rhythm they get them in the same routines for exercise when to practice how to yeah. play the same foods that they have no matter where they go or other high performers like i mentioned in the book uh like the rolling, rolling stones, stones. People, yeah yeah like the rolling yeah. stones which people wouldn't 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 believe that someone that's they are so artistic are actually incredibly routine, incredibly timed. They're all over 70 years old. And one of them, of course, has recently passed away. Yeah, Watts, um, yeah. How important having a stable environment was. And I started thinking that that's the case for also not just high performers and elderly, but also for the, our care of the young. When we're caring for young or, or be it even uh, some of our animals and pets, mm -hmm. there's tremendous rhythm and regularity that's needed when you go to sleep, when you eat how you do these, you know, these type of things. And um, I kind of started thinking about that and put that together really with understanding that a lot of our, our biorhythms and, and how we're wired and our bodies have uh, a lot of um, rhythm and regularity and sensibility to them that, that are very continuous. And if you, at the most basic ways, and I only say this for your travelers to understand what's behind it, not so much <laughs> what you should do, is that if you think about it, your heart beats very regularly, yeah. not irregularly. And, and there's a certain rhythms, particularly circadian rhythms, which are very well known, which I speak about quite a bit, is important in travel, yeah. um, uh, about what's happening to your body and how you feel during different times of the day. Um, and also the world we perceive um, is one that the sun rises and sets and the seasons come and go and the moon phases are here. And it gives us a lot of certainty with that regularity and that rhythm. You know, think about if the sun didn't rise as, as sometimes eclipses did in early days and we didn't understand the science, right? Mm, yeah. How, how it would make us anxious and make us uncertain. And so um, I, I started to recognize that maybe in today's world where we're concentrating so much on the what, what and we're being bombarded with so many things to do, you know, could be to the point how to travel, where to travel, mm -hmm. um, where to go, what, whether to do Pilates or yoga or walking as a form of exercise or bicycling, or whether to eat uh, and diet with, uh, you know, the, the, the South Beach diet or uh, the paleo diet, or, you know, that 
maybe the content wasn't as, as important as really doing things with great regularity mm. and doing them in stable environments. And um, as I began to research this piece, you know, I started to understand that humans are very, we adapt really well. Yeah. And the thing about being older or young, you get stressed when your environments change and your routines change. When you're in the middle ages, your ability to change environments, particularly, you know, in like people that might be listening here that want to travel that are younger and the sort are able to deal with the stress of changing environments and, and the change of, of, of time zones and the, mm. the differences in, in, in how one, one, one eats and what they eat and the sort and the sort, what you end up seeing is that, that really maybe we're incredibly adaptive. You know, the es Eskimos, for example, uh, James, uh, you know, would they, you know, before, and this is important regarding how we travel and how we move today. Before, we didn't have the ability to move and travel like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, even at, you know, the turn of the century and through the last century, um, and of course, prior, we began to have, you know, air travel, right? We didn't have air travel, before, boat travel, right? Before that, it was, you know, primarily boat and foot travel, right? And so we're born... Um, in an environment with a certain group and staple of foods in a certain uh, um, temperature, and we be, we adapt to those environments, you know, and that's where we live. We didn't one day say, I'll go Mexican, and then tomorrow I'm going to eat some <laughs> Swedish, and the next day I'm going to go try some Indian food, and we didn't get on airplanes and, and, um, and suddenly, you know, show up here at one place and, and then go to another place and and, and see this change in environment. So we're very, we're very adaptive. Um, and the kinds of foods we eat, like Eskimos would eat large amounts of blubber that most of us and their bodies began to adapt to eating that level of high fat content. Mm -hmm. Whereas we'd have trouble with that if we yeah. did that. And that happens both genetically and otherwise. So uh, we're very adaptive. Um, we're able to deal with the environments that were that were dealt and to extract if we do them with great regularity the the nutrition so to speak and adapt to the environment mm -hmm. and the sort so anyway though that was kind of how this this the the conceptual thinking of of um the importance of of routine and uh i'll talk about regularity and rhythm and having also a stable environment how important it is and that we really strive even when we travel, even when how we travel, that we 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 try to strive for quite a bit of stability in in the general certain aspects of the environment. Even though we're changing certain environments, we often and and you find this in in, um, in people who travel really well. You find this in in business travelers. Mm -hmm. You find the hospitality business has really learned how to, especially in the business side how to make people feel like a true alma mater home away from home, very yep. familiar surroundings with similar, similar experiences. And uh, that's, you know, that's a little bit of, you know, how this, uh, this kind of concept into the art routine being to choose what you want to do within that routine, within that time bubble, as I called it, you know, be it your traveling time bubble or your, your own life's time bubble. It's, that fragile environment that you do things with regularity mm -hmm. um, and the art is what you decide to do within it kind of a 
being philosophical about an existential thought about your own choices of how you how you create those things you do. Yeah, because even in travel, if you go from like Milan to Japan to Argentina, there's still routine within that. You still land, you put, you're probably going to have breakfast, right? You're going to have the same three meals a day. It's just the in-between that changes, right? The language, the culture, your probably activities that you do. So it definitely makes sense that even though travel is kind of seen as breaking the routine from not going to work every day and doing the same job, there is obviously routine within travel. So that, I guess, that makes it easier, right? Well, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, stories, you know, when I, my, my chief operating officer for one of the, the companies that I was in the healthcare management, a publicly traded company, I would tell him, you know, kiddingly, cause uh, I said, you know, you're an executive, you can go to the Western hotels. You don't have to keep going to all the courtyards. And he would have like 10 or 15 cities that he would visit with some regularity. And he said, no, I'll tell you, I know exactly the Southwest flights I take to each city. I know when I want to go. I know exactly where I want to sit. <laughs> I like going to the courtyards because they're all organized in a similar fashion. Yeah. I know that I want a courtyard and not a not an outside room where it's noisy in order to be able to sleep well because I may have a meeting the next next day. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much, but I'm okay with staying with my travel routine. And you find that people that are business travelers develop a lot of... Uh, routine and therefore loyalty this is why the airline companies try to develop loyalty with you and yeah makes sense. similar experience it's the same there's quite a few studies that were done on the hospitality uh, you know i i, I mentioned a, a study related to a, a photojournalism of all how similar rooms looked for people who were hyatt members that would go yeah. to hyatt you know or in the sort and uh, and so it's it's very interesting in 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 that aspect of, of travel um and you know and i've had people argue say well no i really am much more spontaneous about travel yeah and, and sometimes yeah. And some people have to, they work at that they want to be spontaneous you know mm -hmm. they and it's okay they find it I, I have no problem i tell people you know if you're bored with what you're doing just change what you're doing but yeah. whatever it is you do, go do it in a routine, routine and try yeah. to do it with some stability. And then you will have a better experience and try to savor that experience more than being constantly bombarded by, you know, changes, uh, lots of changes, both uh, sensory wise or otherwise. So those are, those are some of the, some of the principles. I, I remember in travel, a very well-known, uh, uh, CEO of a, one of the largest consulting companies in the world would have to say, well, look, my, my life was not well scheduled. Something would come up. I'd have to travel here. We'd have a sale here. Somebody had an issue. I said, yeah, but, but where would you travel? He said to London. I said, well, let me ask you, when you traveled to London, did you just choose any seat and just sit anywhere you want? He said, no, no. I, well, do you, did you like the aisle or did you like the, uh, the, uh, did you have a choice? You know? Yeah. yeah I always liked the aisle seat. You know, I got to go to the restroom a little more now so that I'm a little older. <laughs> yeah. So I like, you know, the, I mean, I assume you, you flew first class because you're part of a very large company and they go, yeah, yeah, that we would. And I said, did you like taking any flight? Did you, did you go at, uh, at, uh, early in the morning and fly to Europe? He goes, Oh no, no. We always took the afternoon flight to make sure we got on time for the, I, and well, did you stay at any hotel? He says, no, no, I have my, ho I have two hotels that I really like that we do business. So he ended up having quite of a bit of a stable physical yeah, environment, did. even though yeah. he was traveling in, in, in where he sat, what planes he took, 
um, it, it and what hotels he stayed and what rooms he liked. And, um, and uh, so there's a lot more us striving for stability and regularity and routine that gives us a sense of certainty and comfort and not anxiety. Yeah, there's a great book, part in your book, The Art of Routine, about the relationship between travel and and like routine. And this this fact maybe kind of maybe smile a little bit is that 15% of men are more likely to cl- uh, to cry on the flight when they watch a film. And this this is probably news, and my girlfriend probably doesn't know this, but I nearly cried when I watched uh, Hendrix at Woodstock. Right? Um, I uh-huh. I always get oh, yeah. a little bit a little bit emotional watching because I think oh, I wish I was there, I wish I was yeah. like back in the day, and I nearly nearly cried just because watching him play Hey Joe or Purple Haze or it was at, at Woodstock and there's a documentary oh, about yeah. him. So there you go. That kind of... Well, you were seeing that documentary fact. about Purple Haze and Hendrix. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting how, um, you know, why people become emotional, as you know, we notice. So the why is not well known. You know, yeah. we see these kind of activities, but you notice that, of course, if, if even no matter what cabin for the most part now, especially on long flights, people are trying to distract you and keep you interested, right? By, mm-hmm. if you're not sleeping by, you're either reading or you're watching something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they give you lots of choice. It's a incredible leisure and travel relative to the travel that I think that I did early in my, <laughs> yeah, my, in my, in my, in my career. Um, so the why is it known, but the thing to understand is that the cabin in an airplane is at 8,000 feet. Okay, and not all of us are living at 5,000 feet or above. Yeah. And people often ask me and say, like, I don't know, I'm just so tired after flying. And I've, um, I haven't done anything. I've just sat in the airplane, <laughs> you know, yeah. and eat or read a book or worked on a computer or whatever one does, you know, or been on my, on my iPhone or whatever. And I say, well, you know, you, you're in an 8,000 foot cabin. Yeah. And so you have a certain amount of hypoxia, a certain amount of lower oxygen concentration if you take an oximeter you know like people put on their finger mm-hmm. when they you know that you could see what your oxygen levels are yeah and so that that change including uh the the kind of enclosed environment i think has certain emotional effects on people mm-hmm. and um and how one how 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 one is i don't know that they've done studies but i i note that because um you know that's the case but also you know, changing changing uh, time zones, yeah. especially for people that travel uh, not inner but continentally. Like I've done a lot of business, you know, New York and back and the sort. Um, you know, if you don't if you don't manage that well, it's pretty well proven about um, you know you know diseases that occur, gastrointestinal diseases, other things, particularly people that are night workers or myself, like an emergency physician that yeah. work nights have disrupted sleep patterns. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of studies about how, how um, it can impact your health. And even though maybe some of your young winged, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, group here doing, um, doing travel, being young are able to take uh, the stress of it. As I was saying, you're able to deal with the stress of a, of a lack of routine or, or an environment much better than when you're younger. Over a period of time, it it, it will impact you depending mm-hmm. on, on on who you are, and um, and and the sort. And you know, I I think back to travel. I, I remember going to Brighton first to London and to Brighton, England. Yeah. To um, 
to present uh, a talk on uh, on uh, on cardio. At that time, it was cardiovascular pulmonary resuscitation. I was I had written a paper, okay, okay and I was yeah. giving a talk of some sort. It was early in my career, and I remember. I'm not sure this is of any interest to your to your listeners, but Absolutely. I remember, of course, not having much in the way of any monies. I was a young physician, you know. Yeah. My my uh, my early pay was nineteen dollars an hour as a okay. physician. Yeah. Just to let people know that we've all sometimes been down, you know, <laughs> yeah. with large monies there. And I was looking where to go, and I noticed that I could go with Air New Zealand at the time. Ah. Oh. To, to, to London, and then I could visit my friend who was at, who was in Oxford, actually doing a Rhodes Scholarship, and I could then travel to the seashore and give my talk or whatever, and yeah. learn. So it was a very, it was a really exciting experience because I think I was. We didn't have gap years in my days, you know. Either I had to go to work or go to school. That was, you know, That's so it. yeah, fair. you know, the gap years I think did develop over time. Yes, and and. and uh, and uh, they've developed and maybe much more sensible. But in my years, the only people that got to travel were people that were better off. Yes, they the went off. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's the case now. It's a little more, more common. Right. Mm -hmm. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I got on this flight and of course, I've got a coach seat and I walked on this flight and who's on there, but the Maori uh, rugby team. Oh, okay. Now, Blacks, now yeah. you know a little bit about rugby and the Maoris. They're some of the largest people, little rugby players in the world. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And what do I get but a seat between in the middle. two Maori rugby players, the middle seat. <laughs> now, this is going to be a polar route, 10 and a half hour flight, right? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I'm, and I'm younger than I am today, you know, and I'm thinking, how am I going to survive this? You know, I can't like just these guys got their arms, you know, all they're big, their, their arms are right into the seat. Yeah. And I'm going to be telling these guys, um, you know, Hey, can you move out of the way there? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and the sort, but anyway, I, I made it that way. And on the way back, um, I was in my coach seat and they asked for a physician. There's a patient and we're over the Atlantic and there's a patient that's not feeling well, mm -hmm. which I've had somehow, Happened to me very often, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and, and more often than I, than many of my other physician friends, is there a physician on board? And and uh, in those days, there weren't liabilities or issues as much as there are today, you yeah. know, with being a physician and, and giving care to others, you know, the, the that part of the world. But anyway, there was someone that was uh, that was ill, and I, I, I thought they had a a pretty bad urinary tract infection, but it wasn't anything that was going to uh, delay the flight, you know, mm -hmm. or have to go back. And they were so thankful that uh, they put me in first class because they had an open seat. And I thought, okay, this was, this was worth it. You know, <laughs> yeah. they then gave me a, a round trip ticket um, uh, in those days when you travel and, and do that type of thing. Anyway. So um I think I was embodied with a good routine at that time. You know, mm -hmm. always be willing to volunteer if they ask you for for uh, <laughs> for help in in a in a uh, as a physician. Uh, so I've had that happen, but there's no. It's not often first class seats anymore, or it's it, you get a few thousand miles on your advantage card or on your yeah. on your uh, on your frequent traveler card. You know, so do you think um, anyway. first class helps the routine of travel? Because it's technically comfortable. You've got your own, I guess, seat or bed. 
Do you think it helps there's, or is there's, it purely? There's, there's no, there's no doubt that if you've got the means or somehow to be able to fly first class, particularly, I think, you know, continentally and like in the United States uh, versus intercontinentally, I think just having a good seat is, is, is the case because there's not going to be a lot of sleep unless you're doing a night, night flight. Mm. But I know that, uh, you know, not, uh, not too long ago, um, we were returning through London from uh, Italy and um, we usually fly business class because it's, it has a, enough of a seat to, yeah. uh, and, and to, to travel and to stretch out and still able to sleep, you know, yeah. well. Uh, but, um, but we got first class upgrades and I've flown first class a few other times. And surely the luxury of first class flying today is very different than it was before. Okay. You know, because having a full sleeper seat with a set, uh, you know, you're going to get the kind of sleep you need at the moment you need it. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that in general, you know, it, it, it's, it, it from the way the body works, the, the physiology, I, I know for myself that I, I like taking those from the West coast flights that leave at three, four, five, six, or seven in the evening and arrive in Europe, depending if you're connecting, uh, you know, somewhere in the morning or midday. Right. Yeah. We, we take those. Yeah. For Vancouver. But the problem is I can't sleep on flights. So I miss almost an entire night's sleep because I arrive in UK at 11 AM. I'm like, well, I've missed the whole night's sleep because I left Vancouver at 6 PM. Yeah. So if you're not a, if you're not a good sleeper that, because that's a a good formula to arrive, not sleep. Yes. And wait for for night because the natural aspects of melatonin is, you know, I think it was Jane Goodall who you might, uh, you know, who, who was, who studied gorillas, right. Uh, And was, you know, as well known, there's a lot of documentaries on her. They'd say, well, how do you do this? And when do you sleep? Or he says, well, it's, it's simple when it gets dark, I start to get ready to sleep. And when the light comes yeah. up, I wake up, you know, it's, it's very simple. And so a lot of what's happening in your brain and melatonin and uh, where people do use melatonin now to try to trick your brain, you know, to increase the amounts of melatonin mm. are important. But I have friends that they always make me laugh because they, they, I, I asked them, one of them is a physician. I said, well, well, what do you do? He says, well, we do the Romeo and Juliet. I said, well, what's the Romeo and Juliet? I said, well, we eat, we drink, we take a small amount of Ambien that often my doctor is willing to give me a small amount and we fall asleep until just about the time that we're landing and we awake. You know, so we're like, dead <laughs> yeah. for we're dead for all eight hours, whatever the hours are, six, seven hours of the flight. And then we awake like in Romeo and Juliet. So they, <laughs> they do the Romeo and they do the Romeo and Juliet when they travel, but but I, I think that uh, that part of traveling well um, is having a certain amount of preparation and knowing yourself. Like if you yeah. know that you're not a good sleeper and you're not going to do the Romeo and Juliet and use other, you know, mm-hmm. other aids, you know, then you're going to learn how to adjust into uh, that travel pattern once you arrive. Yes. So, you know, what's the point if you've got a a great place you're traveling to that you wanted to go and tour and you're half asleep, you know, it's not going to be of great experiential value. You're not mm-hmm. going to have the kind of experiences that you want to have. So knowing yourself is, is very important, but for, in general, most people, um, the, the concept of, of, of arriving somewhere, if it's daytime and, and waiting to sleep or 
for you arrive somewhere there, it's nighttime to sleep is an important concept where it's dark. And we did this in emergency medicine where we have people working night shifts and we've learned that, that if we can have someone work a short night and then they can awake, uh, then get them back home before the sun rises. Yeah. Yeah. People okay. can actually, so shift work has really gotten very, um, for all kinds of shift work, night workers, nurses, mm-hmm. doctors, police, you know, others have become, um, have become very interesting, very, you know, we know a lot better. We we're better at, at doing, um, uh, doing that disruption of circadian rhythms than we were before. Yeah. And there's a great fact, actually, I, I listened to, um, a podcast with Joe Rogan and, um, some guy called Matt, Dr. Matt Walker, I think his name is. And he, he's a neuroscientist and he's like the doctor of sleep. And he was saying that two thirds of adults in the Western world don't get eight hours sleep. And he says having a huge effect on, like you say, those shift workers, especially doctors and nurses and stuff, but just the general people, nine to five workers, right? Not getting this no. sleep. And it's kind of affecting performance, whether you're at work or even driving the car next day, um, whatever you're doing. So he's a bit worried because like in the forties we had the average of 7.9 hours a night sleep, but now it's down to 6.4 to five, depending on where you are. Right. So yeah, it's decreasing right, by, right. by the decade. It's amazing to me too, both uh, when I was practicing, but you know, in emergency medicine, you're not worrying too much about patients coming in. If they can't sleep, that's not a big emergency, you know, yeah. uh, unless they're, you know, overdosing or took yeah. something, you know, or have trauma, but, but, in, 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 in clinical practice, otherwise, one's noticing a lot of sleep disturbance from people that are, as, as one gets older, you know, mm-hmm. more difficulty sleeping um, than, than they did when they were younger as well. And I think you could argue that um, sometimes, I, I think it is, if you look at that number of one hour less sleep almost, or 1.5 or whatever mm-hmm. it is, um, when I looked at recently some studies of, of routines and sleep habits, and because I asked a little bit of a survey about what do people do, what are the first thing people do when they wake when they wake up, you yeah. know, because part of the circadian rhythm is that as you awake and your blood pressure increases, yeah, and you awake, um, uh, part of the concepts are how do you get into a routine, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and and there's some pretty pretty good studies that if your day is very routine, then you sleep better. Okay. which is an interesting, you know, concept. If you're disheveled, okay, mm-hmm. uh, let, I'm using that term loosely, in, in having not a lot of rhythm, regularity yeah. to what it is um, to your day, not so much what you do, then sleep is more difficult. And, um, and um, so when you look at circadian rhythms, you begin to see that really in the mornings, and it's fairly well known what, what, when your blood pressure is increasing, when you're awakening, when your cortisol levels are beginning to grow are pretty good times to do certain things like exercise. exercise and so yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that also is the case a little later, like about before four to five o'clock. This is in general because yeah. some people are larks and some people are night owls. There's a bridge in how this is developed personally. It's somewhat genetic. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhat taught familial somewhat depends on the environment that you're at sure you know, growing up in alaska might be different you know oh, so yeah. to speak, you know than it might be elsewhere or other parts of the world but um uh, from 10 to noon is a great time 10 to 2 o'clock these 
So from about eight to 10 is a great time to do very diligent work, very specific work, work that requires, you know, whether it's spreadsheets or writing, okay, very technical type of work. By 10 o'clock to about two, including through lunch, at least in the United States, it's a great time for people engagement. Yes. And I'm often asked that in businesses, like when's the best time for us to do these, you know, these things for recruiters, people who are recruiting, for example, to do mm -hmm. engagement around that time. But when it comes to three o'clock, yeah, close to three, yeah. your cortisol levels drop, your glucose levels drop. And this is why the English have tea. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Uh, yeah. And the reason the Spanish cultures traditionally would sleep, have sleep. a siesta, yeah. and the old afternoon delight of, of uh, sex of Italian and French cultures, at least <laughs> historically, um, and these are all managed, you know, we know now by your hypothalamus, you know, and what's happening to these, to, to some of these circadian rhythms, which are well known, there's been Nobel Prizes on the molecular aspects, no point mm -hmm. in going into the great detail. And so it always is, is curious to me. Uh, and then, of course, in America, they're uh, grabbing Starbucks or whatever your favorite to, to wake up. And in, in both businesses and people trying to have be perform well or be productive, it always amazes me um, that people are trying to have technical meetings at three o'clock. Doesn't work. You know, and, <laughs> and, and people are in general, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 um, and so there's a reason why we need glucose, why we need sleep or the things that are monitoring our bodies. And this happens throughout other parts of the, you know, other primates mm -hmm. and, and mammals as well. Even single cells, we've learned they have circadian rhythms when they, their metabolic activity is high and low. So this is part of our human nature. That's part of our, our rhythm. And I think that's important to understand that it's, you know, if, if you know, if you travel to London and, and you can get the sleep and start getting into the into the, the circadian rhythm, you know, not being mm -hmm. too tired, you know, do as the British do, have tea, you know, <laughs> and uh, if you're in, in Spain, take a, take a nap. I think one of the good travel points is to try to enjoy, enjoy that culture and sa savor some of that culture in, in the essence of their own, of your own circadian rhythms as you adapt to those, mm -hmm. to that culture. So those are just some, some, you know, you know, thoughts of mine by the, you know, in a lot of companies now find such lack of productivity at, at three, at three in the afternoon in the sort, they're saying, okay, everybody, you can go home, mm. go home and meet with your, be with your family, your children, get exercise. I expect you to be at seven o'clock back on the computer, finishing your project, you know? Yeah. So people are changing um, this piece. I, I think the reason maybe those sleep hours are more difficult. Uh, the stresses that we're having is because we're not well, tuned really to the, to the to these rhythms to how we're wired mm -hmm. uh, because of the things that in today's lives we need to do yeah we're also disrupted and interrupted we don't have a time to uh just manage a little bit of quiet time which is mm -hmm. one of my prescriptions that i suggest both for ceos <laughs> or for individuals a little easier sometimes than um than um you know, than doing meditation, which takes a little bit of work to figure out what it is. But uh, one of the CEOs in business being bombarded all day, and I, I did this as well, would take at about 3.30, 3.45, close the doors, 
get rid of the sensory input, shut your phone off. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, I did a little survey on, on uh, I think it was on LinkedIn about uh, called the quiet challenge. I said, okay, let's, you know, just like, you know, there was the ice bucket challenge. I was trying yes. to think of something like the, like the, like that, but it's not quite the same because the ice bucket challenge, you can see visually how people are. This is the quiet challenge where you can actually turn your phone off, turn everything off and go into either a room or a space that you have very little sensory input where you can take just a moment to ponder your thoughts um, and ponder maybe important decisions and to let your mind wander a bit, you know, mm-hmm. and relax. And I, and, and, and I, I say that that's prescriptive because I, I, I think those are the types of moments that are not helping us in today and showing those changes in sleeping difficulties. And that becomes a routine. Yeah, so routine. Yeah, yeah. The key to that is to do that with regularity. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's like three days a week when you're at the office or whether it's at home and the similar things, knowing what to do to wake up. You know, people ask me, well, how can I get in a routine? My life's disrupted. I said, well, there's some simple things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is affirmations, for example. Uh, I like daily affirmations. You know, they, they don't have to be uh, uh, like Stuart Smalley's. There's all these daily affirmations, you know, but, but you know, I, I wake, woke up every morning. I wake up and I say that I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me, you know, <laughs> uh, but it can be anything to gather your day. It can be today's going to be a great day or it can mm-hmm. be positive. It can be what it's going to be. It can be something that's meaningful to you. You can just put it on, use technology here a little bit and put it on your phone at seven in the morning and have it be a daily affirmation moment. It'll pop up and give you a notification, you know, mm-hmm. and the sort. And and it's interesting because, you know, prayer, like evening prayer, you, you might see historical points where kids, at least a little bit before my time, others were asked to do a night prayer before they go to they go to bed yeah. a lot of these rituals these routines rituals, yeah. rituals mm-hmm. and these rituals become traditions and i believe uh as i speak to in the book and otherwise that these are um this this is very important for humans to be able to live a life with a sense of of contentment and happiness and certainty in the sort you know these are very important uh, for our social being and also for as an individual being and that's so why i love the book because it's clear from some of your examples that if you can get routines together like like you said one hour before bed or whatever it is just a bit of space to yourself no noise no phone you get your sleep correct and and you get your seven to nine hours whatever it is like even these small little changes and they become habits and then routines can make a, yes. a world of difference to your right. day-to-day life and then weeks and weeks and then months and months and then years right Right. And socially, you know, just trying to think about things like travel. I mean, one of the interesting things for me in travel, besides how to travel well, you know, you try to travel with some level of routine and try to have some strategy, a little bit of thought mm. and try to, it may change, you know, but, but is those concepts of saying, well, what are the routines that people are doing here in this country? They're different. What yeah. they do is different. The timing is a bit different. What are the rituals? What are the traditions? You know, and you see this when you're trying to speak to the history of, of an Asian country that you might go to and mm-hmm. to their customs and the sort. What you begin to see is the socialization of really routine and regularity that happens in general. You start to see some of the routines become rituals and rituals become traditions. And you see this in social 
and team types of things like watching, you know, American football and Notre Dame. And there's now a tradition of tapping the top of the, the saying. And you, you see these traditions occur. They change over time. But I believe that we need more of this today, that mm -hmm. we're being interrupted and distracted by the, by the, by the what it is, by, by all of these different ways of, of things that one can do. And then we don't stick to doing anything with no, any regularity or any rhythm, yeah. Yeah. you know? And, and it, I think it's, it's that part that will give us a, a greater sense of, of, uh, of, of, you know, a, a greater sense of equanimity, a sense mm -hmm. of uh, less stress, a ability. And again, if you don't like what you're doing, you can change it. That's the art. Yeah. But whatever it is you do, my my advice is to try to find some some regularity and some stability in the environment to do that you do it within. Yeah, and I, it, it's it's so true because I I have a degree in music, right? So I've, I played guitar when I was younger. And it's the only thing I can truly say, apart from the obvious, you know, sleep, eat and stuff, like a skill, I would routinely practice two hours every evening after school. And I was religious about it. I think maybe Christmas Day, I might have a day off. But for four or five years, I'd get to the standard and I got into music college and I got a degree. But my friends would be like, how'd you get in? I'm like, it's just practice every day. Like, But people always think of something to do and either don't start it or if they do start it, they just maybe do two or three weeks and that's it they, they let it go right it's like podcasting like there's so many people who probably start and do like a 10 episodes and that's it but you've got to keep going to get somewhere right and as long as you enjoy it the results will come i'm sure yeah and i think that's an issue of there's a number of things that happen there um those kinds of practice things are can be very relaxing especially yes, artistic very. endeavors you improve your performance you know by its by practice you know, the practice something 10,000 times, the book yeah, outlier, yeah. you know, yeah. for example, whether it's exactly true or not, um, uh, in certain in aspects of high performance. Uh, I think all of this brings, uh, again, a sense of, of rhythm, regularity, equanimity, and, and, and it is how our bodies, our bodies react mm. to that disruption. Yeah, that's how we're wired. You see, that's the world we know, the world we know. And, and that's kind of, what happened with COVID, you know, we humans have always, um, you know, started to migrate away and flee disease, war, pestilence, you know, mm -hmm. and this is a form of disease and pestilence. And you've seen some of the, some of this movement, how disruptive it's been to our routines, to our bodies, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and what I like to talk to about is, you know, the COVID's collateral damage has been significant, you know, yeah. not just economically, but you know, uh, medically, you know, mm -hmm. and, and people's lives, but there's also been some collateral value that, that, sh that there's, there's, there are new evolutions and things that are learned by people when after diseases, after, um, you know, wars, after pestilence, uh, and, and, and people have had some collateral, what I like to call not collateral damage, but collateral <laughs> value yeah. that have come from this. Some people have now recognized that Maybe we were just moving through our homes and not acknowledging our families enough, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we weren't really spending time around the dinner table and we had to get, we had to be put into shelter in place, right? In order <laughs> yeah. to, to, to do that and appreciate it. And it, and it, and it, it to me, it, 
those are the some of the things we've learned other things to appreciate our environment a little bit more um sometimes people came in and one tell me you know i never realized i just never i can't believe i've kept this old couch here now that i gotta be here good portion of the day i, I realize i gotta get a new couch and try to <laughs> enjoy it so they never appreciate it and i think trying to move this and morph this talk a little bit more to travel i think that's really important about about um you know getting into the environment that you're in mm -hmm. you know trying to appreciate it and and savor it versus just getting a bunch of photos and a few quick experiences yeah, to remember absolutely. a trip i don't yeah. think that's uh, to me i don't think that's as meaningful i get mm -hmm. it because it's nice to have memories that come out of um out above and beyond your brain can stimulate you on a photo or whatever it is that you're that you're doing or it gives you uh something you can show others mm -hmm. to stimulate you but also for some for social status or where you've been you know there's a lot to that but the idea of being able to really gain happiness and a form of contentment comes from the ability to maybe savor certain experiences and i think this is a important as i've noticed this even for myself as i've gotten older and travel you know there's a course on the science of well-being that's taught at yale about happiness and it's like the number one course that everybody enrolls in okay <laughs> the most enrolled course and it was actually taken that course was taken out to um i think made made more public and it's like two million people can can take this course or view it and one of the one of the little i did not take the course but I've, oh, I've read okay. about its content in yeah. sort and some interesting aspects of it. But one of the things that caught me about it was uh, on the issue of happiness and contentment and experiences, right, was that one of our problems today and one way to gain happiness and contentment is to savor, savor an experience, mm -hmm. to uh, not let something that's enjoyable or that you enjoy or meaningful um, or to try to understand it, you need to take a little bit of time with it and savor it. So it's like, if you want to be happy and content, it's, it's like, you know, what do you like? And so somebody will say, well, I like, I like hot showers. I said, well, then that's, if you're not able to, because you're always late, you know, mm -hmm. and don't have a good timing routine to how to get to work, <laughs> you can't really savor that shower to feel nice. good, right? Yeah. So you want to savor that shower, or if you don't have time, to have that wine glass because you're back on a next meeting or you're being interrupted on your phone, you can't savor that glass of wine that you like or that food. Mm. Or similarly, that experience uh, by you know going to wherever Notre Dame, you know, or in Paris or a certain some something uh, of the that culture that is of interest to you. You know, it could be that you love photography and you go to the to uh, to Paris to the uh, you know the the uh, photo um, um, exhibition that's you know yearly and you have to take a little bit of you have to take a little bit of time yes I think sometimes when you're younger you're trying to get get it all in and now we're so bombarded with these things we can get so much in so quickly we can see it on our computers we can move mm -hmm. across it that we may be making many trips to show others and spark memories but not really had any uh, real contentment or happiness on those trips. In yeah. fact, I see more people coming back from travel now 
that say, God, I'm more tired than I, <laughs> than I was. You know, I needed to get away from what I, my regularity of what I did here at work, you know, yeah. because the work that I've done, I can't easily change my routines, but I'm able to explore. But now I'm more tired coming back because I've traveled. I've changed time zones. I've lost sleep. I've taken in so many sensory things, you know, mm -hmm. and then I asked, well, what did you enjoy about the trip? What made you happy about the trip? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see that some people didn't have any time to savor anything you know, <laughs> and, and get any contentment. So I'm, I'm not sure this is a subject of... of, of uh, well, it is because I firmly believe that COVID has taught people, uh, do you know what? I don't like my job or I don't find it meaningful. And the point of this podcast is I get people on to share their travel experiences. So I firmly believe that when the world is slightly back to normal and you can travel i think a lot of people are going to quit their jobs if they haven't already and go on that trip where it you know argentina could be a great place to go and travel for a month because they just have an interest in that culture right and they're going to savor it because before covid it was all probably a bit you know work nine to five get get your house get your car get your materialistic stuff but now experiences might be at the forefront now instead of those things so i firmly believe i think it's called the great the great resignation right at the minute where people are just quitting jobs and I firmly believe right. they're probably going to go into to do other experiences that interest them. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting um, when when you know it's the fear of life, not just the fear of God's put into you, mm -hmm. and the way it's been, and one starts to recognize their limitations, their mortality, our our wishes to survive and to live as better lives, you know, and. And especially when we have the kind, we can make those kind of decisions. But mm -hmm. you, you can't make those decisions. And, you know, now the, the world is less, I was just looking at data that were the strides that we've made in poverty in the sort are, you mm -hmm. know, incredible over the last hundred years. And yeah. the book Factfulness by Hans Rosling is a great book that people do not appreciate. I just how well that, yeah. Because you, what, you said it in a podcast, I, I, I'm buying that. So I've got that ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and it's really, it's really true. And, and so now we have, we're in a wealthy um, country, so to speak. It's not everywhere that everyone mm -hmm. can have the choice of resigning, right, from work and yeah. traveling. But we've got enough wealth and, the, and, and we now ponder and see the, as we come closer to any aspects of death or people around you that are sick or the fear you begin to rethink those values of, of what makes you alive, you know, mm -hmm. and what makes you, what's meaningful, the virtues. I hear I'm talking a little more philosophically. No, no, yeah, Socrates would say, what is, what, what's really, what does it mean to live a good life? Yeah. You know, what does it mean to be a good person? Right. And mm -hmm. I think part of the collateral value that's happened from COVID, which has brought on, you know, of course, a national and a worldwide kind of fear, a disease and changed what we've done is, is brings us closer to the preciousness of life mm -hmm. or wanting to survive or wanting to, you know, continue to, 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 to produce our, 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 our progeny, you know, to, to keep <laughs> uh, being. A, and, and so I think that's kind of motivates that uh, that concept of now finally wanting to uh, 
maybe take a moment here and say, let's, let's travel or, you know, and, and I think really it's also very demographical right now. It, mm-hmm. it, the millennial culture yeah. is much more interested in work balance, you know, yes, you gotta remember like, like myself, uh, it was in the sixties now. I mean, and, and where, of course, even where I came from, we, the, 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 the children, you look back, we come and still have embedded in us the memories of, of, of the reset of the, of the great depression and of the world wars. Yes. And these yeah. have come from our parents to our mm-hmm. great grandparents, to our grandparents, to just about my, and it's myself, who's a baby boomer, I guess, yeah. has had these, have millennials, right. So to speak that, that have produced millennials. Now that's become more distance. And, 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 and it's like, um, even internally, we have arguments. Like I talk with my wife and she'll say, well, I think we should keep that. You never know when it'll come in handy. I don't think we should give it away. And I go, well, I don't see when it would ever come in handy. Why are we? <laughs> so that's part of some of her Midwest grow up poor, not her, her, her grandparents growing mm-hmm. up in. So they grew up without and through wars and without yeah. things, you know, yeah. and really we're at a base of survival as opposed to just being able to experience, you know, <laughs> we're a little, we're millennials are now, and I'm not saying as a group because it varies are, uh, have not experienced that they're the, the parents have been careful to be sure that they had a better life, you know, yeah, as, as, yeah. Most, as, yeah. most, as most, as most generations after generations often do. And I know that's not the case for everyone. I'm talking very generally right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I, I look at the importance of certain material things, like when, when in my growing up to have a car was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, an automobile, you know? Yeah. Well, now most kids have grown up with, and others have grown up with cars. They were available to them. They were, it was, it's a wealthier time, a more accessible time. Yeah. So now you can get on, on an app and just buy it. We would have never just bought a car unseen. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And, and that happens today. So you're seeing kind of these demographic changes of of where people in my I was working, you know, 220 hours every other day, emergency medicine shifts, 24 hours. Jeez, and the residents today are saying, hey, we ain't doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, so this whole and and, and I sit back and say, hey, maybe we weren't so smart about it you know, maybe that's not a really good thing for health, right? Mm. Maybe that's not really something that in itself has its own virtue and value, you know? So you're seeing this generational change. And I think COVID has kind of really brought that piece out. Mm. And you're seeing people that want to, like you're saying before, have more experiences. Um, um, Travel is one of those, one of those forms. And yes, and um, experiencing something other than that 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 work life that they've had you know so yeah very interesting i'm a millennial i'm definitely yeah i'm definitely in the millennial in terms of when i was born and i was reading a study of the day that uh millennials i guess i guess that's where the backpacking traveling thing came into sort of the mainstream was during our time right but millennials are more adhered to experiences but the generation after us now i think they're called generation z i think We've right. now gone through this recession, so 2008, um, to what it is now. Actually more, yeah, yeah, they're more interested in actual things, like material things, because they think, oh, God, we can't risk that happening again. So they kind of grew up with that. 
So it's kind of right because they saw their they saw their parents they saw their parents losing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Couldn't have things due to the Great Recession, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So you're you're seeing that uh, that group in you know 2007 2008 growing up through that period of time, right? Yeah, yeah. Be in their 20s now in the sort, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's it's a it's a very interesting time, but you know I you know when you talk about the the uh, the wish to now say hey I'm going to go travel, COVID has brought something on. Travel on the other hand has its own stresses, right? That's you know we yeah. we've talked about changes in you know the, the effects in the body and rhythm, mm. but you're also now seeing um, the stresses of when we've we've seen we got used to a routine and a certain smoothness and certain protocols of how we travel mm-hmm. and and people that have gotten very accustomed and suddenly those protocols aren't the same right true you yeah know, now there's vaccination cards there's um there isn't as many people that can it takes longer um uh, my friends that have traveled to other parts it you know if you're traveling to europe and you're going to stop at at heathrow airport you're going to have to go get out and get back in again. It's not the same as if you're going to another country where they'll take the vaccination card and move you through, you know, into the same terminals, you know? Mm -hmm. So you've got different countries with different approaches to how to allow your travel. So you have, there's a lot of barriers now in travel. You have to have even greater flexibility now. Um, And if you're used to, how you've done it before let's say like myself okay (laughs) yeah you're you need to now learn greater forms of flexibility a friend of mine uh who traveled was just in in europe they were in asia recently they traveled quite a bit they say how is it he says it's it's it ain't like it was before and i'm just telling you we have had to learn to have a a different pace a different flexibility Mm -hmm. cancellations be really smart on how to know how to get it, get if you're canceled, how to get onto another flight. And you, there's a whole new group of tools, toolkit, a new toolkit you need yeah. to travel, to travel well and to travel with less stress today than you did not long ago. Yeah. My example for that is I went back to the UK and to come back to Canada, I had to get a COVID test 72 hours before. And on the morning of my flight, it didn't arrive in time. So here's about being flexible, right? You have to think on your feet. So what's my options? And at Heathrow Airport, you can get a emergency test, uh, three hours it takes to come back. Um, then you right. get the extra stress of like, oh, am I negative? And then, yeah, obviously you get the right. results and you are. But right. that's the sort of thing that can happen now with travel. And I guess you're right. It's the extra protocols, the extra yeah things you've got to do to even go to somewhere new. Yeah. I mean, I remember... Uh in the 60s when i was young in the six six seventies you know my father going to argentina and coming back coming down the stairs you know there weren't really and we'd all run out and go say hi to him, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know we'd walk into the terminal at los yeah. angeles because yeah. that's where we traveled from and aerolinas argentina is would be <laughs> landing and they'd be coming down and we'd go down to say hi to him and wave you know you see that you know and 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 you think about uh, today's travel and so there have been people that I know that have said you know I, I don't I don't want to travel anymore 
uh, yeah. in this okay. in this environment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do that in that regard. I'm tired. And it's interesting because I've seen as people have grown, people that are younger experiencing trips that have every day somewhere else to get it all in, in 10 days or whatever right. it is, or two weeks, or people that may take a month might be different. What I see is as people that have well-traveled do, now they go and try to stay in one yes. place. Exactly. Now yeah. that goes with my with being older, right? So <laughs> trying to get a stable environment, right? So um, what I think it makes complete sense in, in regard to how I think our bodies work, particularly as you get older, it's a little harder to change environments. We mm -hmm. see this in older patients when they're suddenly taken out of their home to a hospital. We yeah. call it sundowning. When the sun goes down, confusion occurs. Yes. Um, you see these kind of medical aspects but I think what you end up seeing is kind of a natural progression to saying, well, what have you done? He says, well, you know, we decided to rent to rent a place in, in Italy um, uh, on, you know, in, 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 and we're going to just travel. We're going to use it as our home base mm -hmm. and we're going to do more day trips to different areas. And if we put ourselves at the right place. We could be in France and Spain and, you know, whatever, you know? Yeah. And or wherever they might want to travel, and the same the same when they travel Asia um, to Thailand. So you see them coming a home base. So you get a stable environment that you mm -hmm. begin to adapt to at your home, and now you get a routine of doing something every day, a plan yeah. to visit uh, and be able to travel, maybe day trips or an overnight trip. Yeah, yeah, that has changed because when I traveled in 2013 i was about 23 24 uh, we were dotting all over the place southeast asia bangkok cambodia vietnam all the way around in three months we've done like six countries i think but now yeah. travels like, i'm like no 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 let's just like let's stay in bangkok for a week and just have a base and then we'll do some sites in bangkok but no no rush let's just take our time and i think that mentality yeah i think it comes when you get older i think um because you want to appreciate the area more and the culture, right? Like Buenos Aires yeah. in Argentina, I'd love to yeah. stay there for like two weeks and just experience a bit of culture there and just get into the yeah. into the people, right? Well, the, and you know, Argentina is a, a pretty big country with you know some planning a way to get to, to understand the culture is it would be interesting. It's been they've had a difficult time in Argentina. I I haven't traveled recently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, financially, there's been a difficult time. There's been yeah. an increase in crime. We mm -hmm. have some family members that uh, one was he was worked for the diplomat office in, in actually the United States, but for in Argentina, they're Argentine, my cousin. And, uh, you know, they live in a nice part, but not a not anything special, but a nice part. They've had to get security. There's been a lot of right. increase in crime in large cities, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, and, and I, I mean, I even seeing some blogs recently and you have to you know you 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 wonder because what we notice when you socially and i i talked about this a little bit when you see these kind of uh what's happened with covid these um you're seeing now you know more violence you're seeing mm -hmm. more more uh of all types of things happening across the world even on airplanes right you see all these yeah, you know yeah. that you know you're seeing this aggression and what you see that when people are are unsocialized, made to stay away from each other, you know, quarantine mm -hmm. essentially, 
you're going to get more civil disobedience to follow. And I think we saw quite a bit of that. And this is part of human nature. And, um, and so anyway, in Argentina, they've had a lot of economic stress with you know, significant inflation and then hit very hard with COVID. And, and today, if you were going to try to, to go to Argentina, I think it's still off limits. Yeah, it is. Today. Yeah. Um, off limits, I believe. So, um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a country that, uh, that's very broad and very, very, very rich and a country, Argentina, you know, when, you know, was known as the Paris of, of uh, Buenos Aires was the Paris yeah. um, of the South America and mm-hmm. uh, in- incredibly well, um, you know, well-cultured, mm-hmm. you know, country. Um, of course, you could argue that, of course, what the Spaniards did is they got rid of all the indigenous people because Argentina is about 96%, you know, uh, Italian German, Spanish, yeah. uh, multicultural. There's quite a few people from the British Isles as well there. Yes. Per the Malvinas and the Falkland Island Wars, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's actually a large, large Irish. So it's a very, there have been migrations um, of peoples from Europe, you know, th- through the early 1900s, you mm-hmm. know, were coming from Europe and Eastern Europe. And in fact, that's how my mother ended up in Argentina. Her family had gone just before the war broke out because they were from Romania um, in, in, in that part of the world. And they ended up, the parents had left to Argentina where my, I never understood this, but my mother said that she never knew her father real well. Okay. Uh, she was part of a big family because he was gone for two years at a time and he was a rancher in Rosario in a part of Argentina that she didn't she, only recently that we understand that that there was a a, a, a group there you know of, okay of, uh, immigrants <laughs> from Eastern Europe going to do ranching of all things in Argentina so gauchos so to speak so mm-hmm. anyway a very uh, uh, very diverse interesting uh, country and and uh, I um, I you know the, the the difference between being in Buenos Aires, and then going to near the Andes mountains to places like Bariloche, and myself having, you know, had a vineyard, developed a vineyard or two with Malbec. Oh, okay, uh, that I, nice. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed. I've actually had two vineyards now, and we have actually had our own brand of wine that we've enjoyed. Going to see the, you know, Mendoza country where the wine in Malbec. Those are just, you know, spectacular, you know, parts of the world. You know mm. that. Yeah, and. Uh, and of course, the U.S. ski team goes to Bariloche in, in, uh, during our summers, right? And vice versa. And, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And I always kid people, you know, so because, you know, the Southern Hemisphere people, I was born in April. And I Same. always tell people yeah. that I was, well, yeah, I tell people I was born in, I was born in April in the fall, you know? Yeah. You know well, well, what do you mean you're born in April? <laughs> you know, so, so it's interesting, uh, especially when you start thinking about how our bodies work, the environments that we grow up to gain stability, to think of the Southern and, and, and Northern hemispheres, these kind of changes, you know, how you, mm. how, 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 you know, you think about astrology in the month you were born and then you realize that the seasons are different depending where you're born. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, so it's, so it's a very, it's a, a, a very, uh, 
very interesting, interesting piece. But I think again, um, that, you know, you've, uh, I know you, you may have noted, well, people live long lives, you know, Japanese women are the longest living uh, uh, people in the world, you know, that, or that subcategory. Yeah, I was going to ask that, that piqued my interest in the book, because um, I'll tell you why I had a, one of my friends came on the podcast, she's half Japanese, half uh, Chinese, and her Japanese par- grandparents live in Okinawa. And they're like 108 and 110. And it, it, it goes in, in your book um, when you mentioned the, the life expectancy, but particular areas of the world where they just live routinely longer. And Okinawa yeah. is one of them, right? Yeah, that was one of them. And, you know, uh, the Blue Zones, as uh, the book mm-hmm. that was the Blue Zones kind of looked at this in a more empirical way. Um, but, um, you know, whether, whether it was, um, you know, certain parts, Sardinia, Italy, Mm-hmm. was one area a couple areas of greece even in the united states loma linda california where it's seven day adventists oh, okay uh, are are it's interesting what you see is stable environments that tend to be generally um very have stable staples of food you know in the sort in the mediterranean they're blessed with a lot of food you know yeah and in good environments you know you're not you're not in the hither lands and uh and it seems that uh, certain peoples have lived in those environments, have lived longer. People try to uncover, is it the genetics? Is it mm. the environment? Is it what they eat? You know? Yeah. But I think it's the stability and the plentifulness of being able to survive mm-hmm. in milder weather climates. Yeah. Plentiful foods. You know, when humans lose... Uh, their 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 food sources right or their water sources they migrate right mm-hmm. and historically they they go somewhere else or they try to take over territories <laughs> yeah. others have got, yeah. you know and so the sort anyway it's a very all those are you know interesting interesting points but i think uh these are the kind of things i think that uh that uh, you learn and and sometimes you'll see these people have lived long lives they have not traveled no, they have not gone anywhere. They're not, they're not curious. They love their routine. They love yeah. their environment. It's mm-hmm. incredibly stable. Yeah. And one could argue that's less stressful and more conducive, short mm-hmm. of other things, to long longevity. Yeah. And, and Lindsay's grandparent, um, the, fa- the grandfather, who's like 108, he routinely just goes every day to the market to get his food. That's one thing. He gets up, he does his 30 minutes exercise in the morning, and he walks to the market to get his food for his meals in the day. And this is constant routine. He eats the same food, you know, the fresh fish and all that. Right. And I, I just found it incredible that he's still doing that into the early hundreds. And, and, that, and that's the point. That's what you find in people that are centenarians. And yeah. as you get older, you find the need to get consistency. You need to find to get, do things regularly, to not make for a lot of change, mm. you know? And so... For those folks that are younger, I say travel now while the body can deal with it better. Yeah, of course. Make, yeah. make for change, but be smart about it. Develop some routines. Develop some abilities to savor your experiences. Develop, um, um, it's okay to have certain routines or ways of doing things, even though there's constant changes that mm. are happening in your in your environment. Try to form spend a little longer time do those type of things i think they'll be less stressful in the long run yeah i totally agree 
And I think that's kind of my message to my listeners is when you're younger, don't don't bet that you'll be old enough to do travel because for one, you might not be here, right? So um, do it now while you can. And I guess responsibilities are less when you're younger as well. So that's kind of yeah. my message. Yeah, and, 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 and it's a great message. I mean, for me, I know like we've just, we've not traveled as much as we've liked ever because it was more business travel or the sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably with a very strong work ethic, you know, yes. it was like my yeah. wife and I, it's like, I'm traveling the country doing business. And when I come home, I'm glad to be home. She said, well, I've been home. I'm ready to go. Where do we go? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm ready to get out of here, you know? And so you cross, you know, paths in that way. And uh, when you get a bit older, it, 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 again, you're, if you, in general, not everybody. So you, you got to learn to be a good traveler. Mm-hmm. You're not quite as mobile. You're not as adaptive to change, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, but yet it, I think that there's certain cognitive aspects they talk about, about how change is good for your, the challenge of your mind to maintain sharpness in the sort, uh, yes. no matter how old you are. And uh, I suspect that the, the, even though with the routine of the 108 year old father, that uh, you'll see certain facets of, of, of things that they do to maintain a sharp mind, you know, and, yeah. and the sort, but I, 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 I think um, the, this is a, a time that, um, you know, of course we're getting through the COVID piece, but this is a time that, that we're, we have so much more information, so much more ability to, to move as humans safely, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and to experience uh, that which is the world, much more so than it was my growing up or, or many, many, of course, many years and centuries earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a, uh, you know, hopefully people get a chance to, to read the book. It's not a, it's not a long, it's not a long read, but it's a, a hopefully enjoyable. I try to work hard on making it readable yeah. and, uh, and, and consistent. And, you know, my message is that uh, again, routine and stable environments may be a lot more important than we think to what we do and how we we survive and how we live better lives and, mm-hmm. and more meaningful and purposeful lives uh and that we have to be careful that we're not just getting you know slammed with the what so to speak yeah you know? i totally agree i think you put that really well and especially in the last paragraph um paragraphs with the ai section i think ai it's a bit off topic for my podcast, but it's a very interesting part of your book because that does interest me about how AI could come in, but it's important to use it in, in the right sense, right? And not- yeah, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you you mean I know, but I'm the I'm the chair of a company called Potential Analytics, an analytics company. Okay. So I've, uh, uh, which does healthcare artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. okay, um, in the healthcare world. And so I become very interested in, um, in this topic, I think it's actually very relevant to travel. Okay. I mean, yeah. The, it's it's very relevant. Uh, I mean, artificial intelligence, of course, is a is you know is a newer kind of iteration of technology, right? Yeah. You know, and computerization, computer coding, and the sort. And 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 it's a very interesting piece. Uh, so my experience growing up used to be, 
when I traveled, I went up to a desk and I got a ticket, you know, and yes. you see the old movies. That's what I saw. Right. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon we found greater efficiency by computerization. Now, of course, there's kiosks right now. Of course, you don't have to have kiosks. You have um, a smart phone to be able to maintain all of your travel information. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You have algorithms on on the if you if you go and and search a trip out there's algorithms within the the web within the web companies that do this that then will bring back to do you still want to go to that trip are <laughs> yeah. you looking for it this is a, these are forms of machine learning by the way no mm -hmm. different than you know your your apple or your fit watch that's learning you know what you do and the mm -hmm. sort and uh so uh where does technology's convenience and efficiencies and ease taking us more or less away from uh, communicating and socializing with others for these transactions? Where does it take us? And one of the terms, uh, I can just speak to it for a moment, uh, just as that I've become very interested in is a term I saw in the investment world called techmanity, mm -hmm. uh, the intersection between technology and humanity. Yeah. And I like the term just because it, it, it seems Sounds obvious. Nice. Talk yeah. About it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tech humanity. But, but um, this is this inter intersection which becomes to have, you know, moral and ethical and issues related to that. And that's what uh, in that, in my last chapter and also in an article on Forbes that they, I was interviewed, uh, you know, the question was, well, will artificial intelligence tell us what routines are best for us? Mm. You know, because as we get into the ability to monitor our body, to get data from our body, yeah, or uh, just like you do on a watch that knows how many steps you took if you wear an Apple watch or whatever, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, and, and uh, starts to know your health and that, that it can take that data. And basically, as if we start doing galvanic skin response, we can know when your what, what, when your body is best adjusted, mm -hmm. um, and pretty soon we can put it in an artificial algorithm to, to tell you what you need to do, you know, yeah. tell you yeah. what your best routine is mm -hmm. or how you live your life. And so these decisions start becoming, you know, made by, you know, forms of machine learning or other forms of artificial intelligence, game theory, all these other formats. So in travel, um, it's, 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 it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, the, as he's, as people, as the algorithms learn what you like, there's dangers of people selling you on things to push you towards things that, mm -hmm. you know, you know, so one aspect is the whole concept of, of your data, your travel data being used to monitor how you travel and to better and to better sell to you, you know, yes, which we, yeah. we know. So, yeah. That's one aspect of using artificial intelligence from a standpoint of selling travel, right? Or mm -hmm. the travel business, you know? Um, then there's these aspects of uh, not having any social interaction, becoming accustomed to just computerization and the phone to be able to manage all of these, all of these pieces and the lack of, social interaction that's occurring you yeah. know so it's quite so, terrifying um, yeah and so it's like so you start seeing this now you know um particularly with people wearing masks 
um, very little eye contact that people mm-hmm. have. Yeah. You know, I go on, I go on to my flight and the gal's not looking at me. She's looking to see if my phone and boarding pass is going over the right portion of the scanner. scanner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so you're going down the scanner. So you're seeing our using technology in ways that are, um, I'm not sure the word is desocializing us, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, and, and, and it's like, how do you, how do you, are we going to, are we evolving or are we devolving? Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. What, what's in, 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 in this tech manity, you know, concepts are, are, you know, are they, are they setting, are they sending us too far one way versus another? Are we losing some aspects of humanness? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it can be applied. I'm just trying to apply it to travel. I'm just uh, being creative about it. I'm not yeah. telling you that I've seen any studies yet in regard to that, mm. but what we do know with travel now is that if I had a credit due to a cancellation just yeah. the other day to on American airlines, mm-hmm. and there was no way that I could do that online. Okay? Yeah. Same. I've got the same. I, yeah. Right, you know, I couldn't do it. You have to actually call, yeah, to get. I've got quoted. Thing that's credit. It's refund. It wasn't refundable as a credit, and so you start. So the the point I'm trying to make is is that when you get onto the call line, they tell you that they can call you back in two hours and forty eight minutes to three hours and forty eight minutes. I remember that line. Okay, <laughs> you're being conditioned, of course, not to talk to someone. Okay. Yes. The workforce is now naturally reduced due to workforce shortages, right? Mm-hmm. But but they it's been the dependency of automation to not be uh, in integrating with someone, so that if someone like this is protocol that you can't do it online on your app, right, or into the airline or whatever mm-hmm. it is, now you you've you've got tremendous frustration that occurs because you can't transact easily, right? Yeah. You can't suddenly transact easily. And, you know, there's some interesting examples of, of this kind of, I'll call it devolution of human relationships to each other, which I think are part of this fighting piece that you see on the airlines, you know, mm-hmm. and these depersonalization and this kind of sense of civil disobedience, this kind of internalization of surviving under the a war against a virus, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you start to you start to see these um, these kind of things, and the way I the the way I I, I saw a study where you know they they so on texting, you know, emojis were developed because people would text each other. There's no emotion in it, right? Yeah. You can't communicate. So emojis were to help develop. And they've expanded emotion on text because as texting has increased, you know, emojis have increased so that you can utter and sense uh, um, emotion. And so there was a study on, I think it was eight or nine-year-olds who were using a lot of texting already Mm -hmm. um, that were, a study was done to see if they can acknowledge uh, the expression on someone's face and what it meant, like, a picture of a child frowning, they couldn't, they, there was almost a 50% inability to recognize facial, human facial features of human interaction 
Oh, wow. Um, in regard to things like, you know, oh, you look sad or. Yeah, yeah. You're frowning or you're happy. An inability to recognize these subtle interactive aspects about being human, you know, because part of what distinguishes humans, I believe, and this is philosophical, yeah. that is that I sense that you sense that I sense. It's that relational piece. Mm -hmm. That comes from Sartrean existentialism, which is probably well above most people want to hear about that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, 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 but that I sense, you sense that I sense. Um, if you start removing that interaction that does that, then it's hard to learn. So there's some very interesting aspects to it. And I think we're seeing um, this depersonalization, this desocialization, this, you know, this, you know, you're, you're on a mask in a plane, you're a sardine in a can mm -hmm. looking at your own stuff interacting interacting and and only seeing good interaction when people are drinking booze right yeah <laughs> i'm just kidding but but i i think there's some real questions about about how 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 travel morphs or changes how it evolves you know and and uh and you see futuristic travel you often saw people in their own time capsule yeah yeah capsule and then they end up wherever they are suddenly right mm -hmm. you know people are very encapsulated right now that's how it feels to me yeah and i think it's part partly due to to our technology and kind of beginning to you know automate more of our decision making mm -hmm. and it's interesting because my people of my age um to finish on this is that i still remember school as in high school without phones right i was just about i'm just about old enough where when I got to the end of high school, there's no social media. There was no real smartphones. You know, the old brick Nokia phones with snake on it and stuff. It was, it was that good at that time. So I kind of do remember the times before social media and these phones and these automation of stuff. But we've we've obviously had maybe 20 years of it now. So we've kind of got used to it. But we can still recall just a few, you know, maybe 15, 16 years ago when we do recall, you know, speak on the phone or maybe like interacting more than what people do these days. And the new generation now who just grow up with it from day one. Yeah. It's going to be interesting for the studies to come out. Like what are they going to be like in terms of interaction or even going forward with travel? Like how is it going to work for them? Right. And also, you know, there's a lot related to what happens in the developmental years and schooling where people are together, you know, there's yes, a lot of issues yeah. there because those are areas where we learn to socialize. You know, I always sometimes in the world say, why do people stop at red lights and get in line to get coffee and where do you learn all of that you know mm -hmm. and a lot of that is learned in the early years you know the, the people not left to their own devices how to socialize and behave you know sometimes it amazes me that people actually follow the rules right <laughs> yeah you know the majority of people and and so the worry is that this kind of uh these kind of lack of interactions and behaviors or, yeah or are will will make for a, a very different relationship and interaction among humans mm. you know and how how they are and how they feel now maybe that won't be the case but it's i think it's definitely new territory so uh yeah tech humanity is a real question and i think um you can you i'm sure you could go back in his, history like we were talking about and see the change in travel mm. you know it's not mm. that you couldn't go to europe or argentina in 1970 or six when my parents True. 
Yeah. And I would go out, but look how that, look how it's changed yeah. from, every, from every aspect of it. And look what technology mm. uh, has done to it. Not just in flying an airplane. I'm a pilot. But by oh. the way, I am a pilot. Oh, wow. Okay. I find great freedom in traveling with, yeah. with being on my, on a plane, if you can, you know, yeah my own plane going my own way right <laughs> a dream yeah. that's the ultimate they, freedom they, that is. <laughs> that's the experience the experience of flying i i started flying for business but i learned to be a pilot for uh, enjoying it now savoring it and you know go yeah, up and yeah. enjoy the the act of flying you know in mm -hmm. sort but i'm just saying that uh that uh, these are very interesting i think they're interesting questions you know uh to to ponder and uh you know, all of this points, the points, you know, there, there's industries like there's a points guy and mm -hmm. how to get points and how to manage the system because it's no different, you know, points are becoming, you know, become, we're going to become like Bitcoin, you know, cryptocurrency is a different yeah. form of currency, right? Yeah. And then how to manage that currency and the sort. So mm -hmm. I, I think, I think it's a very interesting time, time that uh, travel travel for travel and travel will will evolve and uh but i do think people are are a bit more removed and distanced now because of the technology yeah i've definitely experienced that i think especially in the workplace as well that's happened right um, but in terms of your book um can you tell the listeners it's called the art of routine where can they find this to, i bought mine on amazon so it's obviously on there um is there anywhere else that they can buy this book yeah, it's an Amazon. It's it's really distributed by Simon and Schuster, uh, uh, you know, worldwide on on and it's on it's on Indie, Barnes and Noble, uh, mm -hmm. all of these uh, sites. Uh, if you type in the Art of Routine, and and uh, I have a, a web page www.angeliskovich.com if you could spell it that uh, speaks a little bit to a few other things. And we, I've I've had, I've been fortunate enough that there's been enough interest uh, in the book where I've been able to be in a number of podcasts yep. and, and yeah, uh, different interviews of different interests and because uh, it is a it's a subject that is broad and and so uh yeah all all of those uh those outlets are available if people are interested uh, uh you know greatly appreciate appreciate any comments brilliant and are you on any social media at all yeah i'm also yeah sorry about that i i've got dr i on and also on uh on uh, on on Instagram, Instagram Twitter, yeah. and then LinkedIn uh, for the business and other communities quite a bit on, 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 uh, on, on LinkedIn. So I've, uh, I've, uh, I've been, uh, I've taken a little moment of a break, you know, we've been mm -hmm. posting, you know, posted quite a bit and I enjoy doing that quiet challenge and some of these things. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's interesting to see where the responses are. Yeah. Um, and I've enjoyed uh, I've I've enjoyed that and some really interesting conversations. So uh, uh, on all of the social media and uh, they've used Doctor I as a brand. You know, it's like yeah, Dr. yes, Doctor I. I, yeah. I think yeah. uh, the people I work with say they want you to be like Doctor Oz or Doctor Phil between them. You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's that's the the course. But I, uh, you know, hopefully I hopefully I could bring a little bit of insight into I think a, an area of our human nature that needs to be paid attention to and utilized and that your mm -hmm. readers might find the book interesting and in, in, in finding some avenues that that it relates to their personal lives. Yeah. And I personally want to say it's a great book. And I was drawn to it by listening to you on the podcast. I think I said before, 
And I was like, God, yeah, that's that. It just, it just, someone clicked my mind. It's like routine. I don't think I'm good at routine. I need to know more. So that inspired me to buy your book. And like I said, about in two days, I was pretty hooked to it. And I would recommend people to buy this. And I'll also put some um, social media links up there for you as well in terms of your website and where to find your book. So um, well, I'll thank do that you. as well. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, I, I think these are these kind of human nature, philosophical issues that can have certain practical, you know, uh, maybe prescriptions, you know, for mm. us to help this world. I'm going to try to, to look at a few more subjects in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, routine is one. And I'm, um, I'm interested in this tech manity area. Yes. You know, I, yeah. That sounds uh, cool. I think yeah. it, the, the discussions on that are also fairly broad. Um, and I've had interest also on, uh, I've, 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 I've been thinking about how uh, for, for many groups of people trying to be perfect, what it is about perfection. Perfection. We're trying to do things <laughs> and why is it that we, we need to strive for it or be so uh, unable to do it or being able to do it or what the impacts of, of uh, being perfect or not perfect or making perfect are about. So um, there's interesting evolution. And I think this is all tied somewhat to having better lives, having more meaningful purposeful lives mm. in the background, surviving better on this planet. That's yep. what I think about. Perfection is an interesting one. We won't go too much into it, but the, uh, the Formula One racing, um, McLaren, yes. uh, the sporting director who used to be there, Ron Dennis, um, says, how can you achieve or create perfection in an imper imperfect um, like surroundings? So he would what he would perceive to be a perfect environment for his engineers to create the best car possible. But who's to say it's perfect though? You might disagree. So um, that's kind of where I had that before, like maybe five or six years ago. So um, perfection is an interesting one. It's yeah, something... and it is how, how we perceive it or what we yeah. think is perfect. It changes culturally over time. Mm. Surely his his thinking there is making an environment that's stable to allow yeah, to stable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. provide routines, organization, structure, yeah. helps create. And, yeah. and that's one of the themes that people who are artists or creating need to understand that it's not something that just, you know, lightning bolts of creativity suddenly come up and produce that a lot of artists and others have tremendous routines, you know, and mm. that's one thing I know we didn't talk about much here, but it's just a piece of appreciation uh, when people travel. And if, if they're, uh, they're going to someone's to visit someone's grave or something interesting, an interesting figure that they enjoyed to, uh, to see that aspect of their life. So, yeah. And also in, in terms of like Jimi Hendrix, he's got yeah. uh, 400 recordings. I think it's known um, that are available. So he was relentlessly in the studio day in, day out, hour, hour, hour after hour, trying to do uh, probably create some music or create a record. But the people yeah. only hear that the recorded version at the end, right? But he spent hours messing yeah. out but you only see the best of him on stage right so it's the hours right. behind that you know that whole that piece of practice developing being prolific you know prolific, yeah prolific. yeah but you know whether it's Hemingway or Andy Warhol there's plenty of of this you'll see that they have tremendous amount in order to be productive of, of routines the way they do things it's mm. it's very it's it's organized it's structured you yes. know yeah, you know, Andy Warhol had a very specific routine. Hemingway wrote in the mornings. He was thought to be a good father because he 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 wanted the quiet of the morning, you know, to do mm -hmm. work. 
and would be available for his children in the afternoon, you know? Yeah. Although, you know, if you look at some of it, he wasn't exactly the, the most wonderful person in the world. You know? <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, but the point, the point being that, um, that um, it takes, it takes that, that, uh, that practice, that regularity, the routine and some stability, even if you later change, it's okay. Start it, start a new time bubble as I call mm. it. Yeah. Start you bust your time bubble and start a new one, but try to have a time bubble for a period of time. And I think uh, I think that's the case too. I think good travelers learn to be good travelers. They yes. practice that. Practice it. it. Yeah. You know, they practice that. They learn from it. They learn how to make that experience better for the next trip. You mm -hmm. know, and uh, that's what I call the traveling time bubble. So. <laughs> anyway, that's right thanks for uh thanks and great pleasure talking with you and and uh uh really have enjoyed it thank you so much no worries thanks for coming on i really appreciate it and um yeah this will be released on monday the 29th of november okay. well like yeah I, I hope it hasn't been too much uh too much different areas that we've struck but it's a it's a broad no, that's subject. great yeah it's I great hope, uh, people will uh will maybe take something something of interest away from it I yeah. think they will. I think I'm I'm not religiously stuck to just like, where have you been and what do you do? If it's different perspectives in terms of like coming on and talking about how you travel or how it affects your body, it all relates to travel, right? So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, my pleasure. Thank you, James. Thank you. And uh, I will, I'll keep posted when I actually release the podcast and stuff, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Okay. Sounds great. Please let me know. And I'll look forward to seeing, see, hearing it and, I give it to. I always give these podcasts to my wife to check out and see okay. what she's the critic on these things. So <laughs> okay, right. Good luck with that then. <laughs> All right. Take okay. Care. Thanks, Angel. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to my Wingnet podcast episode today. Please find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel, where I do release daily and weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as some photos. You can also find this episode on YouTube, James Hammond Travel or Winging It Podcast. You can search for either, where this will be released as a video, or there'll be some pictures to accompany the audio. Please follow and subscribe today. I'm also available on Pinterest and TikTok, James Hammond Travel. And please check out my website, jameshammond.org, where there'll be some information about myself, as well as some travel content. Finally, please rate the podcast on whatever podcast platform that you do use. This helps gain the podcast a bit of traction and gets me guests for the future. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. Be inspired. And I'll catch you soon. Ciao.